Welcome to the Storytelling with Data podcast, where listeners around the world learn to be better storytellers and presenters. We'll cover a wide range of topics that will help you effectively show and tell your data stories. So get ready to separate yourself from the mess of 3D exploding pie charts and deliver knockout presentations. And with that, here's Mike. Hi, welcome. I'm Mike Cisneros, data storyteller here at Storytelling with Data. I'm here with my colleague, Simon Rowe, also a data storyteller. How are you, Simon? Very well. Thank you very much, Mike. Very well indeed. Can't complain being a nice sunny afternoon here in the UK. Excellent. We wanted to talk about some of the things that have been going on in the community, talk about some of the questions we have been answering in our workshops. And Simon, one of the questions that's been coming up a lot recently has to do with the growing prevalence of AI tools in data analysis, data visualization. What are some of the discussions that you've been having with folks around that? Yeah, that's a really great point. I was lucky enough to be invited, unfortunately, only virtually, not in person, to the Rome Tableau user group. And during that user group, there was a discussion around data stories in Tableau, relatively new feature in Tableau that allows you to apply these stories, which essentially imply a little bit of AI to generate some of the themes, some of the trends, some of the patterns that you see within your data. And it provides a response, provides a a human language type sentence of what this trend pattern or interesting shape may be. And so there was a really good demonstration on that. And then one of the questions at the end of the talk after I did my own talk as well was, well, how do you see this role of data stories and other types of AI that are coming in playing in this role of explanatory communication? Now, my answer was, I think, okay and comfortable for them. I mean, they probably didn't want to hear quite what I had to say because I really just said that I believe that this role, this AI, certainly when it comes to data stories and the Ask Data functionality in Tableau is great when it comes to the analyst exploring the data trying to find whether there's something interesting going on with the data. Of course, this AI has the ability to scan multiple million rows of data and pull out those trends, which might be a little bit more manual or maybe impossible even for the analysts to consume all of that information. So yeah, whilst it's really good for that, it allows us to see and maybe get some insights that we couldn't have found previously. I still do think there's absolutely a role for the analysts to then be able to take those insights, take that AI output and translate that into something a little bit more meaningful. And the biggest reason, of course, is that the AI, however advanced it is, however advanced these features are, just doesn't know the business and doesn't know the context, the underlying business, the understanding behind it, as well as the analysts working with that data. So that was my overview behind data stories and ask data. We're seeing loads of it come in. We've got tools like ThoughtSpot. We have explained data in Tableau as well, all designed to try and get more out of our information. But my own simple message is that's great to see, but it still needs that view, that overlay, that qualitative addition from the analysts working behind it. Yeah, I'm very enthusiastic about any tool that comes out, any new assistive technology that might make it easier for us to do our jobs, whether it's our job, analyzing data, communicating data, doing any kind of writing. I know these are the tools that most famously recently ChatGPT is trying to help people with, help them refine their writing or just give them full answers to questions that it would seem to be very difficult to get an answer to in the past. But we have also seen that 
sometimes, not just with these AI tools, but just with anything that we communicate to people, anything we show to people, there's a danger that folks receive what we show them as the entire truth and the unassailable truth. And using these AI tools, you get the same thing. If the AI tool gives you back an answer, you might take it on faith that, well, this is the 100% true answer. But we are seeing now as people are playing with these AI tools, they're giving you an answer, but it might not be the full answer or it might be full on inaccurate just based on the data set that it is using to analyze it. And to your point, Simon, there's often context that exists outside of the data set that we're using our AI tool against that is going to be important context for us to include in our overall analysis. I know there's a lot of fervor and panic over, well, how can we tell then if something is written or created by a human versus written or created by AI? I would say, read the responses and see if you can't tell the difference. I still think that there is a, a very obvious difference between something created by a human, something created by an assistive technology on its own. It's great if that technology gets you over the hump of starting, gets you over that blank page problem, but then you still have to go the next step further and use your brain, use your knowledge, use your experience against it to create something that is actually meaningful and useful to your ultimate audience. And one other aspect of it that I think is interesting is if we do get to the point where we feel like well, these AI tools make it so you can't trust if something was generated by a human or a computer. You can't trust if this image is an actual image or if it was an AI-generated tool. Does that not mean that we will end up placing a lot more value on what people are able to do in person, in front of you, if you hear them actually speak in your presence or if they're able to answer questions off the cuff? Doesn't that mean that there's an advantage to be had by developing your own presentation skills, your own ability to talk through things or think through things on your own, because that might be one of the only ways to distinguish whether a human being was able to say this versus whether this was something a, a tool came up with on its own. Just That's some right. things that I've been thinking about over the last certainly few weeks and months as these tools have become more popular. Yeah, for sure. You make a really good point about how you read it and what how you perceive whether it or not it's an AI versus something that's been generated or created by a, a person. And I think one of the temptations with this is to just fill up your dashboard with these auto responses. And of course, the problem there is whenever you produce this dashboard regularly, which often is the case, if these responses are automatically generated and just merely change the number, this has gone up or this has gone down by a certain value each week, each month, it becomes very stale, very quickly. And so you still need that overlay, that qualitative overlay that the person will provide on top of what they've seen within these patterns and trends that the features that we've been talking about now provide. Yeah, certainly something we're all going to keep an eye on as the technology develops and figure out how we can best incorporate this into our workflow so that it becomes actually useful, not just something that we add on to our stack, but hinders the ability to get meaningful insight out of whatever it is that we're looking at. Yeah. So we have a monthly challenge that we do here at Storytelling with Data. Every month we have a new theme. We invite people to participate in it, gets their creative juices flowing for folks who are interested in data analysis, data visualization. And Simon, 
This month, you ran the challenge. So what was the challenge for the previous month, which, as we're talking, was for January of 2023? Yeah, thanks, Mike. It was a, well exciting challenge. I very much enjoyed coming up with the idea and then seeing all the responses come in. But it was about well, you. It was about the person who was creating this particular visual. It was indeed about quantified self. So the challenge was a simple one. Find some data that's in, related to you in some way from the numerous array of tools and resources that are available now and sharing data about yourself and visualize it in some way. So we had no stipulation around which tool to use or which type of visual to use. As long as it was about yourself, then it could be included in the challenge. So what inspired you to pick that topic for this month's challenge? Was there anything that you were hoping to see from people or was there any motivation for that over any other topic this month? Yeah, I mean, when I realized that I was looking at doing the January challenge, I immediately turned to January being New Year and full of hope and optimism for that year ahead. I love New Year. Obviously, we've got Christmas at the back end of the year. My birthday's very soon into the year. So there's lots of good Happy fun. birthday. Thank you. <laughs> there's lots of good fun things happening right at that period of time. And my wife and I, we have two relatively small young boys. So our New Year is, I would say, low key. But what we do try and do each year is a little bit of a evaluation, a recap, if you like, of our previous year. We look back through our calendars, our diaries, just to give us a sense of photos, to give us a sense of what we've done that year, whether it be trips away, whether it be day trips, visiting relatives, whether it be achievements that our children have done, passing swimming tests or winning tennis trophies or whatever it might be. We like to build up a bit of a list because then we can look back and actually see the year's been full of accomplishment versus maybe not seeing that as you go through the daily hustle and bustle and grind of, of daily life. So I think January is a great time both to do that recap, but also to set your sights forward for the future. And with so much data available on ourselves nowadays, it's very easy to pull out data to see what we've both done, but then to use that information, I think, to then see what we can do going forward. And that was my goal, if you like, was for people to get a good sense of themselves by maybe exploring something they hadn't explored before, but then to see how they could use that information and see how they might improve or iterate on those outputs and achievements from the following year. And I think it was pretty successful. We had 57 people who took up our challenge for January for quantifying themselves. I looked through a number of these as well, Simon, some of them stood out to me, but I am curious to know, were there any that you would like to call out as surprising, notable, anyone that you want to mention? And as we talk through this, I should point out that we will include links to all of these so that you can follow not just the ones that we mention during our discussion here today, but also you'll be able to go through and look through any of the submissions that people shared with us over the course of the month. So Simon, which stood out to you? Yeah, I'll go with, just from a democratic point of view, Mike, I'm going to go with the one that received the most data points. So our community favorite, if you like. And this was by Evelina Judicite, who visualized a year of fitness. And I mean, first of all, it just looks stunning. I, I love the radio approach signifying a year's worth of progress. But the way it's been built up, the layers that this radio has is really interesting as you begin to look through because you get a sense of 
the overall goal. And Evelina's progression towards that, which in this case was around weight and getting to a good target weight. But to do that, there was also an element of interaction and activity that was undertaken. Various types of activity, yoga and other types of fitness. And you can see that the more fitness was done, you can see where the groups and clusters were. You can see how that changes over time. And you can see ultimately how that weight goal is impacted. And I just love looking at the different patterns in here. There was a particular uh, load of green dots towards the bottom right corner, which represented a yoga retreat. And I asked uh, Evelina about that as well. So, so many interesting themes come up, you know, com comprised within a really lovely looking design here. And I can see why that got the, uh, the community favorite award unofficially. Yeah. And it is a radial design. There's lots of concentric circles to this radial design. There's sort of a line chart towards the, the center ring of, of the donut that is as it goes around, as Simon mentioned, it starts up a little bit high and then tracks down as you go, measuring the weight that Evelina is trying to track. And then each concentric ring outside of that is a different type of different type of exercise that they were doing along the way. And this radial approach is something that I noticed lots of people leveraging. Funny to me that oftentimes it was used in combination with walking or running data, with how many steps that they took. I think there were four different folks. I see Larissa, Ryan, Iris, Relitza, all of these folks ended up creating radial style charts that actually were tracking their steps, whether it was walking or running. I think three of them had the exact same title of my steps in 2022. I like the radials you pulled out there, Mike, but one of the ones that really struck my eye was the the spiral radio, I think it was uh, Iris, where it's not just one circle, but the, the circle kind of goes into this spiral shape as you go through the year. So you've got multiple different levels. So just an interesting, slightly different take on the uh, on the classic radio there. My thoughts now turn to book. One that really caught my eye was one by Curti, uh, looking at reads in 2022. Now, what I particularly liked about this was just the number of different views that Curti uh, managed to build within this same set of books. Essentially, you've got the same books within each view. But as you scroll through each independent image here, you can see the distributions and the way they've been shown. In this case, we're looking at the methods that they've been consumed in, whether it be ebooks or paper books. Then you've got the fiction versus non-fiction element. And you can see that there was a bit of a preference towards the fiction side, but I understand from the commentary there that's a lot more balanced than it had been in the past. And my personal favorite was around the, the genre. So you've got different shells for fiction and non-fiction, science fiction. But again, the images of the books remain exactly the same. So if you've built a familiarity with one book in particular, you can follow that through all the way through. And then you get to a monthly distribution, seeing them stacked by the books that have been read for each particular month. So I just really love the flow of this going through each of those different images, but that continuity within them with the same book on each one. So yeah, great, great work there, Curtis. Yeah, there's a skeuomorphic, I think is the word for this, where he's drawing sort of abstractions of books and drawing them as bookshelves, but then using that as the visualization style and it's something that probably took quite a bit of effort to do, but it is memorable. Well, and that is one of the things that I really enjoy about the challenges that we offer up every month is that we are encouraging people not always to do what is the cleanest, most business appropriate thing to do, but it also lets us 
offer the opportunity for people to explore their creative sides. And as you do that, you tend to develop different skills that might be applicable to different scenarios as you go forward. And this one certainly is creative and memorable in a lot of ways. And it wasn't, as Simon alluded to, the only one that talked about books along the way. There were some other people who talked about their book reading. CB actually had a bubble chart that I thought was visually interesting, where it was more of a timeline of 10 years of book reading with each bubble representing a book and the size of the bubble representing the number of pages in the book. You can see how CB's reading grew over time as different things happened because there were annotations alongside the graph of, oh, set up a personal library, implemented a reading register, joined a literature group, and you could see how that grew. So the visual got your attention right away, but then it encouraged you to explore a little bit more. You start to see the insights that you could derive from this particular visual. So another one that you might be interested in or that you mentioned, I think, was from Lynn, which was about eating or cooking more or less meat. Yeah, I, I just like this one because, well, first of all, it's, a, it's just a hand-drawn sketch. And I always feel as though they're a little bit more personal when you don't have to dive into a tool to create something. So I, I love the way Lynn built this up. But whilst it looks relatively simple, actually, when you get into it, there's just a lot of different factors here. You, first of all, need to pay close attention to the legend and the key to get a good sense of well, what is being documented here. And as you begin to relate the various images and the different icons underneath those images, you start to put up quite a nice journey, if you like, of Lynn and her cooking habits and how they've maybe changed over the course of the month. You get a good sense of whether those meals that have been lovingly created have been appreciated by her family. And you also begin to get a sense of actually, you know, the weekdays and the weekends, maybe, do they go out a little bit more, enjoy themselves, get a, get a takeaway. And so there's so much in here. And what I loved about it was it was relatively straightforward to design. And I can imagine drawing it out like this is far simpler than trying to create something like this in a tool. And so actually the hand-drawn element, probably easier, but also more powerful, more personal. And that's why I really pulled this one out because I just love looking at it and looking at each day. I think I went through every day almost by the end to get a sense of what had been done, how it had been been received. So yeah, lovely work then. And I think there's something that was that they mentioned in the commentary about this is a change that was being made, trying to have more vegetarian meals, trying to cook at home more, which is something that you do for health or for the family's health, for the benefit of everyone. And there were another couple of submissions that went down that line. It's not just about the person themselves, but it was about their personal experience with some conservation efforts. I know Rob submitted a visualization about water use, which was interesting because it was water use at their house over time. George Alexandru submitted a visualization about their personal carbon footprint. Again, a sunburst chart, so it's some concentric circles using some visually arresting color palettes here, but talking about where the sources of their own carbon footprint came from and also offering some links to tools so that you can track your own carbon footprint as well. So conservation, another theme of this month's entries. I took a look at that tool, Mark. I don't know whether you had a chance to. It's pretty detailed and comprehensive. I think you can build up a very clear picture of 
your carbon footprint using that tool that was that was mentioned there? I believe it is the very easy to remember carbonfootprint.com. Okay, <laughs> there you go. So what were some of the other visualizations that you wanted to address? Yeah, there's one in particular I, I mentioned because I really enjoyed felt a little bit humbled, I guess, by the, the personal disclosure from this particular visual. So this was from Sarah Stern, who writes or documents and visualizes her meditation journey. And what particularly sprang out for me was, was the commentary and Sarah's story about meditation, how she used to do a lot of meditation and during the COVID time as well, use that as quite a nice way to, to escape some of the challenges that we were all facing during that pandemic. But then how it became a little bit of a, a chore almost and felt like it was not something that was really achieving its goals and so giving up ultimately upon meditation before then just taking small steps back using a, quite a popular meditation app and then beginning to do just a few minutes here and there and then gradually building it back up again and I think that resonates for me but I'm sure many others because there's so many things we think we want to do in life and we do them and actually it becomes not that fun anymore when it started out as being fun and so just to take that step back to reduce it back to what made it fun in the first place I think is very powerful and I really like the way that Sarah visualized it using each meditation day as a, a cloud being re revealed and erased to reveal behind it this blue sky so the more meditation sessions that were done the more blue skies revealed I guess opening up that mind to to that clearer thought so yeah I love the, the visualization very very clear but the commentary as well was very personal so thank you Sarah for sharing that with us yeah you know what's interesting Simon is that this quantified self-topic how personal some of these themes were that folks got into and chose to address also kind of leads them to create more bespoke visualizations yeah. and a lot of what people submitted this month would be very difficult to create out of the box in a tool but there's something about when you're this connected to the material you're also willing to put in the effort to create something that exactly matches what you have in your mind's eye and you'll figure out well how do i make a tool do this or if i can't make my tool do that like lynn did should i just draw it sure, maybe yeah. that's the right way to do it mm -hmm. And it's just interesting that when we get into more personal connection to the material we're working with, how it breaks us out of the routines that we would have of always using the same tool or always using the same way of visualizing information. Yeah, for sure. I guess you have that, that extra bit of passion, don't you? That bit of incentive to do something a little bit, like you say, outside the box to get your, get your message, your story across. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. That really does show through in a lot of the entries today this month so how do you feel about disc golf i love disc golf i played it when i went to holland or the netherlands i should say in october and uh, it was great fun the family loved it there's no i'm sure there is a skill level but there's no <laughs> starting skill level required you can just as long as you can swing your arm you can throw a disc of course it doesn't quite go in the direction you intend most of the time but we had a lot of fun and of course the activity element as well is very rewarding too and that's why I loved this entry from from Brian here because Brian in a very fun way just demonstrates one you know what disc golf is but also how he's improving his disc golf how it's leading to more activity and just the simple use of a few icons here but some nice bold visual colors 
really just draws attention and just wants you and really makes you scroll through and gives you that feeling that once you read it, you get a good sense of what Brian's been able to do, but a little bit more knowledge about disc golf, comparisons to real golf as well. But yeah, you, you want to be with Brian the next time he plays almost because it's just so fun looking at this particular visual. As long as we're in sort of the, the area of fun, odd topics for quantified self, the one that made me laugh out loud the most this month was the one that was from Zen who wrote about fingernails. How fast do my fingernails grow? Measured in nanometers, the, the title of the entry was something like, by the time you finish reading the sentence, how much will your fingernails have grown? I think it was from a research study that, that they had done on their own, but then visualized a very simple infographic of drew out a little hand and then just wrote out in nanometers per second how fast their fingernails grow. And it was not anything that I had expected to see in Quantify itself. But it is quantified, it is yourself, and sometimes just sharing something that's going to make people smile is worth the effort as well. So yeah, this is one that stood out to me. Yeah, definitely. I saw that it was an early one when that came in, and yeah, it made me, made me chuckle as well. What's interesting is that they don't all grow at the same speed, by all accounts, and I didn't think that would be the case. And then I thought, well, hang on, it's going to be the longer fingers grow faster, but that isn't quite the case either. But yeah, really good fun, and the blog's very interesting as well to have a look at yeah they also shared the barb chart with a whisker on the end of it like the sort of chart that you might see in a scientific paper but when you translate it to well why don't i just show it as a hand as an infographic of a hand same information but much more accessible i think to the general public so simon any last one that you want to call out before we move on for today yeah, we've got one more. And, and I think, well, I'm going to include this one, although technically it's not uh, quite quantified self. It's quantified someone else. But I'll let Shane get away with this because I really enjoyed the entry. So what Shane has done here, Shane Reynolds has taken a look at his partner's book consumption over the years. So Lizzie, his partner. And what I particularly enjoyed about this was just just the flow of it again. It's a very long form style approach so you've got your headline numbers at the top but then as you go further down the visual you get more and more call outs about the types of books that have been read the age of the books so i really like it it feels quite like for those familiar with tableau the sort of iron visi type report type dashboard but it's also a lot of technical complexity in here as well some of these chart types are pretty difficult to produce i do require quite a lot of knowledge to be able to do them as well so there's some intricacies there which i think are very nice but overall the flow of it is really good there's some really interesting little points right at the bottom i particularly enjoyed the section that looks at how old the books were a lot of new books being read but also some classics i think the oldest one from memory was was jane Eyre or pride and prejudice which shows that the age of the books but really good just to see those called out but they all felt very accessible, very friendly, and just maybe want to just look at the next one and just keep scrolling down to see more and more. So great work. We appreciate everybody sending in their submissions this month. There were so many great ones that we didn't get a chance to talk through all of them, of course, but we always like to see everything that people are sending us. And 
Most often they also come with commentary to explain the, the thought process, the decisions that went along with it. That is really helpful as well. And we also appreciate everyone in the community who is commenting, adding their data points, our version of likes to the visualizations as well. As I said, we do this every month. And Simon, what is the current active challenge for February? Yeah, we have an exciting challenge. And um, being February, Valentine's month, this month's challenge is all about partnering up with somebody. We have provided a, I guess you'd say, typical business slide and the data to go along with it. So what we're asking you to do is take that slide and improve it. Sounds simple, but the twist is you need to do it working with somebody else. Now, you can work with that other person in a number of different ways. You can just work with them, collaborate with them. You can use them to provide feedback on a design. You could work independently until you get to the end and you cross-reference your ideas. So there's many different ways you can work together, but you must work with someone to deliver your ultimate improved slide. Whether you choose to collaborate, partner up with a community member, that'd be fantastic, but it doesn't have to be. You can partner up with anybody that you know and is willing to work with you this month. For this, for all of the challenges, you can go to community.storytellingwithdata.com slash challenges. Simon, thank you for taking the time to talk through last month's challenge, talk through some other things. Thanks everybody else for joining us and we'll talk to you soon.